Hey, Fairborn City Manager Rob here with me as always, Megan Howard. Hi, Megan. Howdy. How are you? I'm good. I am super excited today. We have a special guest on the podcast today. We have Joe Hall, a Fairborn resident. Oh, hold on, can, hold on. Oh, shoot. I forget which one it is. I think it's the is orange it the one. Orange one? Try it. Let's see. I don't think it's the orange one. I think it's yellow. Right. There it is. Hey. There it is. We're really excited to have Joe on the, the podcast today. We want to talk about, he completed a feat that is still mind-boggling to me, and I'll let him describe it because I certainly can't do it justice. But Joe, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. So let's talk about what you did uh, first. So just to explain, you you walked across the U.S. Yes. I, uh, I started in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware on May 15th and finished on my 40th birthday in San Francisco on November 22nd. Fantastic. I, again, that just boggles my mind that uh, that somebody would take on that feat. I walked 26.2 uh, miles. I did that in Columbus in 21. <laughs> I I complain about walking around the block. So, <laughs> so uh, let's dive into it. I mean, let's talk about, uh, first of all, what what possessed you to start this walk? I know it was uh, you doing a fundraiser for a friend. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about that and why you decided to do it. Um. At first, the, the walk came about first. I was kind of, you know, I've suffered with depression my my whole adult life, pretty much. Um, back in 2020, I had been fired from my management job. Uh, the same day I got fired, I actually tore my left bicep. Um, so I was like, oh, great, I'm losing my job, and now I'm having to have surgery with no income. Right. I start to finally get recovered from that. September 1st, I'm in a motorcycle accident, heading to Sinclair to do my EMT classes pretty fitting. And, um, I ended up fracturing my pelvis in two places. I broke and dislocated my right wrist, uh, fractured my orbital wall and had about 50 or 60 stitches. I think we stopped counting at 50, uh, between my face and my head. And, uh, later on we ended up finding out that, um, the ligaments in my wrist had to be reconstructed. So I had a second surgery there and then a carpal tunnel surgery after that. Um, I also have a torn labrum in my right hip. And I actually have a hernia from, I've had a hernia for about two and a half years, uh, ever since the accident, um, which I go in for a CT scan tomorrow to find out how much worse it's gotten. And basically when the doc wants to schedule getting that fixed. Sure. So it's like, as if I haven't had enough surgeries in my life, we're going to add another one. Right. Um, but, um, the first couple nights in the hospital, uh, were the closest I've ever come to taking my own life. Um, For me, it was just a thing. And ultimately, I look at it as I I really got lucky. I wasn't paralyzed, but my bottom half had swollen up so much that I couldn't move. And then this arm was casted, so I couldn't really do much. I was one-armed, just just able to move my upper body, but I was trying to actively look for a way to hang myself on the hospital bed. Wow. And I, I either just got exhausted or maybe the pain meds finally kicked in, but I went to bed the first night, woke up the next day. That's when they did the surgery. They put all the metal inside me. And again, I was in pain that whole day too, you know, and I, I basically had a male C-section. So I was right. pumped up with gas and I just, I was miserable from that. So the second night was a lot of the same. Once everybody went home, I was, I was, again, I'm trying to reach up and, uh, and do it again. And again, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the fact that I didn't get any, I don't know. I wasn't sleeping a whole lot. So finally my body was just like, Hey, I'm, you don't have a choice. We're going to try to get a little bit of sleep. Sure. I didn't go through with it. I woke up the third day and I knew that the therapists were going to come in and at least get me stood up and get me moving again. So they came in and they 
took my legs and moved me off to the side of the bed uh, because another thing that I didn't know was going to happen was there was going to be nerve damage. My legs swell up so bad and the nerve, the temporary nerve damage was so bad that if my legs, if the skin touched each other, it felt like I was on fire. Wow. So they, you know, they got my feet off the side of the bed and they saw that I was like crying and, you know, wheezing and they're like, well, that's great. You know, we got your, I was like, no, you, you guys came in here. You brought this special Walker that had a platform for my casted wrist. Like we brought you this, you guys like, you guys brought it in we're going to stand up. So my dad was there. Um, it was his turn to visit. So he, you know, he got some pictures as I stood up for the first time after the wreck and then, you know, the therapist left and I laid in the bed and I said, I got to set my sights on something to keep my brain occupied, to keep my mind out of where it's been the last couple nights. So from that day in the bed, I said, I'm going to run a marathon next year. And then in October of 21, I ran the Columbus Marathon. Wow. I finished dead last at the Columbus Marathon. They were cleaning up everything when I finally finished. Um, but but it, you finished. That's I did finish. Part, right? I was Mr. Irrelevant of the uh, Columbus Marathon. Right. Um, and then I finished the marathon, though. And after I baby deer leg, you know, walked over to a, a gator so they could take me to my car, um, I, it was kind of weird. I felt like there was still something on the table. So I was like, fine, I'm going to do an ultra marathon. So five weeks later, I flew to Arizona and I did a, uh, a 48 hour race. It was just, you know, run as much as you can. Right. And we're going to be very liberal with the use of the word run. When we talk about what I did, I shuffled most of the time, but I did that to raise money for children's hospital for Christmas, to try to get toys for, you know, yeah. and I raised about $2,200. I covered 52.2 miles over two days. Wow. I wanted a hundred because I was doing the math from Columbus. I was like, man, if I can run 26 miles in seven hours, then a hundred miles in 48 hours should be easy, <laughs> except for all the blisters that I got. And it right. was still 80 degrees, 80, 85 in, in Phoenix at the time. So, um, but I got done with that. And again, there was still, it still felt like there were, there was like a, not a hole, but it felt like, okay, there's still something out there for me. Sure. And I was back to work, same place I was working at before. I just wasn't doing any management stuff, um, which was fine by me. But I, I was just, I, I could tell myself, I could tell I was starting to slide back down mentally. And I was getting back to that place that I didn't want to be at. And, you know, working third shift is even worse. So I was scrolling fa or YouTube and the algorithm delivered for, for me for some reason. <laughs> and I came across Mike Posner's music video, Live Before I Die. Um, in 2019, Mike Posner walked across the country. The year before, he lost his dad and uh, Avicii, the musician. They both died, yeah. and they were you know, good friends with him and his dad. So he set out to do this. He got to Colorado and got bitten by a rattlesnake and almost, almost died, almost lost his leg and or died. But he finished, and I saw this video, and I was like, I'm going to do it. And it was, it was one of those things where it was like, this is what I'm going to do. Nothing's going to stop me. So I, you know, I, from that point on, I started putting money back. Um, basically I stopped providing DoorDash drivers, a college education for their children. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I started putting the money away and I immediately started kind of doing research. I want to do this walk. I want to have as much knowledge as I can going in to give yeah. myself the best chance to succeed. But then the doubt kind of started creeping back in. And I, I started doubting if I started saying to myself that Joe Hall isn't worth the walk. Like it's not, I'm not worth it. I'm not worth this effort. And then I, I got to thinking and you know, the, the train was moving just a little bit. You know, somebody started screwing the light bulb in. So I got a hold of my friend, Sarah, who graduated with me. And in 2020, 
her son Jackson, who was at Tecumseh, took his own life. And they started a mm. fundraiser for behavioral health in his name at Children's. And the Connor group said, they told the family, like it, it, within a five-year period, if you guys get to $50,000 raised, we're going to match it with a $50,000 donation. So I, I hit Sarah up on Facebook. I said, hey, I'm getting ready to walk across the country. I was like, I'm going to do this because I want to raise awareness for mental health and suicide prevention. But I want to try to raise, help get you guys to your 50000 because they do a fundraiser on their own the weekend closest to Jackson's birthday every sure. year. And they had raised about thirty-eight and a half thousand on their own after two, you know, two years. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, I raised twenty-two hundred doing a forty-eight-hour walk. I've got to be able to get them to eleven and a half. So her, her mom, you know, they were both in. They were both all in with it. Um, and then, you know, May fifteenth came, and it was it was time to rock and roll, and that's right. what we did. <clears throat> so, uh, first of all, that's an amazing story. I think we've all, and I don't want to speak. I, I, I think everybody can say there's one point in time where they've been depressed to the point where they've maybe not contemplated it, but at least had thoughts of, you know, this world would be better without me. Um, and the fact that you turn that into such a positive is uplifting. I mean, that's that's a yeah. incredible story. Um, and so thank you for doing that. I mean, that's a I, I just need to start there. I mean, that's insane that you did it and that you were dedicated to it. And after all the negative things you had happen to you, you turn that into such a positive is incredible. I assume you hit the 50,000 mark. Actually, no, I, and that was the one thing about the entire walk that for me made me feel like I failed. Uh, we raised about four and a half thousand and the whole time I would, you know, I kept in contact with Sarah and her mom on Facebook. And I said, I kept apologizing like, guys, I'm so sorry. I was like, you know, I, I don't know. Am I not, I'm not promoting it enough. Cause a lot of the times, you know, before the walk, it was like, I got all these awesome ideas. Like I'm going to be filming TikToks and, yep. and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. But really what happened was like at the end, near the end of every day, I was like, I just want to get to camp. I just right. want to go to sleep. Right. And, you know, a lot of times I was doing more talking about the day, about my struggles or about mental health in general or people that I met that I have shared stories about it. Sure. And we didn't raise them enough money. And they were like, shut up. You know, like we appreciate right. what you've done and you got to understand that we'll get there next year with our fundraiser. We're not sweating it. We're proud of what you're doing. And, you know, I was, I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, I don't look like it, but I was an athlete my whole life. So <laughs> setting a goal and not getting there is something sure. that, that kind of sucks. Yeah. And I was just, I beat myself up for it, but I looked back, especially near the end of the walk. And I started re reflecting on like all the people I met along the way and the stories I got to hear and tell my story to people and, you know, the messages I would get on Facebook, you yeah. know, surprisingly, I got zero negative comments. Wow. The, the whole trip itself, there was not a, as far as people, person to person interactions, there was nothing bad about it. Right. I had a completely fantastic experience and there were so many people that just reached out that had heard about it or, you know, from a, you know, word of mouth, friend of a friend, or that actually talked to me and then would mess, you know, come back and message the Facebook page and be like, Hey, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. One guy in Iowa called me his hero. And I was like, ah, I don't like that. Cause I don't, you know, <laughs> soldiers are heroes. First responders are heroes. Like I'm just a dude walking. Like I, I, you know, and again, my self-worth is very small. So it's very tough for me to take compliments, but th that kind of stuff, I, 
it made me realize that was the that was the reason for the walk. Sure. You know, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about the money raised for for them. It was more about the people. Sure. So let's talk about that. Do you want to push that charity in case anybody we get some viewers here or some people listen. We yeah. have some followers. What's the charity you're raising money for? Maybe there's people that want to Oh. Still donate. Let's let's throw that out there. Uh, it's called Run a Mile for Jackson. Um, you can you can link to it because it goes straight to Children's Hospital. Um, you can link to it from my webpage www.hallacrossthecountry.com h a l l or the Facebook page Hall Across the Country. Um, there is a link still to donate to Run a Mile for Jackson. There, uh, I'm going to leave it up until this year. Obviously, sure. when they start this year's event, they'll have a they'll set up a new link. Um, I'm currently kind of in talks with uh, Sarah and her mom about trying to do something even bigger for them or, and with them for this year's Run a Mile for Jackson event, um, just because it's it's one of those things that I'm trying to kind of figure out as I go forward, sure. like what I want to do with this. And it's I, I, for this first part, I want to try to get them involved. But, yeah, they can visit the Facebook page or the website, and there are links to donate directly right there. And we'll have your information in our show notes. So yeah, we'll make sure people there. can get to that. Okay. Um, and yeah, if, if anybody is, and the one thing I've noticed about Fairborn is we are very supportive of others here. We give, even though we may not have much. Um, so I'm sure there'll be some folks that might want to donate. Awesome. Push yeah. towards that $50,000. We'll, we'll put it on goal. the, when I, when I share it on the, on the page, I'll put a link to your Facebook page and, and just, mention something about it. Okay. Uh, absolutely. So let's get into the logistics of it now. Um, you, I assume how much research did it take to figure out like what route you were going to take? Where did you start from? I mean, I think, you know, Forrest Gump ran from what Maine to California. <laughs> so not to make light of it, but how did you, how do you decide where to start and what route you're going to take? Well, I, I started in Rehoboth beach because that's actually where the American discovery trail begins. And had I had more money and, uh, and more time, I might've taken that, uh, the American Discovery Trail is the only coast to coast non motorized trail in the country. Huh. And what it is, huh. is it's a, it's a series of uh, trails through different states and some, some surface roads. But uh, in Cincinnati, one branch goes like northwest towards like Indiana, Illinois, or Indi- yeah, Indiana, Illinois, Iowa. The other one goes kind of south, and then they all meet back up and they end in San Francisco. Okay. Um, one leg of that is 4,800 miles or 3,800 miles and the other is 4,000 miles. Wow. Mine was 3,176 all told. And I added, you know, I had a couple stops in Iowa that I added some, added some distance where I could have, you know, made more ground, but there were some things I was like, well, when am, when am I going to be in Iowa again? I got to see these things. So I made a, I made a couple, you know, road trips out, you know, a little or pit stops out there. But so I decided to start in Rehoboth because that's where the American discovery trail starts. Um, you know, I could have started in Jersey or New York and cut a couple hundred miles off, but I didn't really, I was like, man, am I going to be safe enough? You know, backpacking through New York city. Right. You know, I was like, never been to New York. And I look back on like, maybe I should have, you know, right. uh, Essentially, you know, I, I talked to a lot of people that have done this before. Um, there's actually a Facebook page with a lot of people called USA crossers for people that have done it or are thinking about doing it for, you know, to bounce ideas off of. And, I was, that's all I did. It was like asking questions and everybody's like, it's great that you're going to plan this whole route out. But within the first week, your plan's going to, going to go to a pot. And it did really. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was quick. Um, <laughs> it was probably, I mean, ultimately it was like three days in the third day. 
actually the end of the second day, my whole plan changed and I ended up, you know, that's when I bought my first stroller and kind of changed my, my tactics for each day. Cause in my head starting, I was like, I'm going to backpack this whole thing. Cause I'm a big, tough guy. And I wrestled, and I've done MMA and you know, I'm going to do it for the symbolic reason of like carrying all this mental health. And like at the end of two days, I was like wheezing, dehydrated. My fingers were locking out. I was like, we're going to get a stroller. And luckily there was a Walmart right by the hotel I stayed at. And I'm like, and I, at first I was like, man, second night I'm already in a hotel. Like this is not going how I wanted it to go. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it ultimately just came out to, I would wake up each day, look in the, get on Google maps, look in the vague direction of where I wanted to go and find something 15 to 20 miles. And, okay. it, you know, early on, that's all I did. And then, you know, people found out about the page and would offer, you know, there's an awesome family in Maryland. Uh, the Bakers had a horse farm. They breed um, gypsy vanner horses. And they're one of the few places in the country that do. And they were like, Hey, you're more than welcome to, you know, put your tent up in the yard. And they, they bought like a steak meal for me at a local wow. restaurant. Oh, wow. They followed me. They met up with me in Gettysburg later. Um, they, they only, they lived two hours away from Gettysburg, but had never been. So as I was walking to, and that was one, another one of my pit stops. I'm like, when am I going to be this close right. again? So I went up to Gettysburg for a day. They met me up there. We saw the sights, but you know, it was amazing the way that, you know, people kind of reached yeah. out like that as, as the walk went on. So there's an, a wonderful metaphor in that story you just said about that ties to mental health. So it's realizing that you need help, right? I mean, that's, that's a big thing is, you know, you had this in your mind, I'm going to do this this one way, but realized early on that, Hey, I, that's not going to be possible. Right. Right. And, and being able to admit that you need some help, it didn't diminish anything you did because you still walked every step of that journey. It just, you know, being able to say, hey, I needed this mm-hmm. and, and being able to do it. That's a wonderful metaphor for mental health because a lot of times people struggle because they don't feel like they can give up or it's it's, it's giving up saying they need help. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, so, and, and being willing to veer from the plan. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because, man, you you want to take that the quickest route. Right. Because especially if you're goal oriented, mm-hmm. man, right. you want the goal at the end. I had this conversation yesterday. She, she told me, she said, you and your goals. <laughs> I said, I got to have a goal at the end. Right. She said, healing isn't like that. She said, healing doesn't always have a timeline. Absolutely. And she said, you yeah. and your goals <laughs> and your timeline. She's like, there is there is no finish line. So Joe, how difficult was it? Because, you know, you're by yourself with your thoughts for the entire trip most of the time, right? I mean, yep. you meet people along the way, you have conversations, but for the majority of it, it's just you and your head. How difficult was that? Because, you know, if you struggle with mental health, I mean, a lot of part, a lot of times that's the tough part is, you know, I'm, I'm in my head too much, like I'm thinking too much, but all you had was time to think. Did that help or was it a, did it, was it made it made it more difficult? No, it definitely helped. It surprisingly, um, you know, and I've got a I've got a great group of friends and family, and friends that I really consider family. But even here, I always, you know, even back now after all of this, I, I've always felt alone per se. Like I feel like no matter how good the people I have around me, I, I still you still feel like you're burdening them if you talk to them. Sure, you know, you feel like if you reach out and you try to explain what you're going through that you're weighing them down. And that's the last thing I ever want to do. So in a lot of ways, I was kind of used to that because I didn't really, you know, I would, 
I, I would talk to certain people about it, but I wasn't super open. And that was one of the things I really wanted to be um, earnest with in the walk was being open about the things. And that's why at the end of each day, if I did have, you know, negative thoughts of any kind, I tried to be open about it and I would, you know, put it up on the TikTok and put it on Facebook and just speak about it. Because if I can't be open about my struggles, how can I do this walk and tell people like, you need to go, you, at the very least, open up and start talking. You know, yeah. sure. There are, if you, if you rely on social media, there's always going to be some, some dummy that's going to, that's going to talk down about it. Right. But I guarantee you, there are going to be infinitely more people that are going to be behind you, but they won't know that they're behind you if you don't let them know where you're at. Sure. And, you know, that was the thing for me was it started off, you know, I never, I never had a point in the entire walk where I wanted to quit. I had a lot of people that said later on, they said, they would tell me, um, you know, we didn't think you were going to make it. A couple of people told me like, we thought once you came through home, you were just going to stop. Like you wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't be able to handle it. And luckily I'd already done about two thirds of the walk at that time. So I, I was like, well, you're lucky I'm not closer because I'd probably come headbutt you. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it was a thing where every time I would struggle, something would happen good to kind of help me along. Right. And I've never been super religious, but it did seem like someone put these people in front of me when I needed them. Right. I was coming through Appalachia in Pennsylvania. It was one of my last one of my later days in PA rainy day. I think I only walked about 14 or 15 miles, but it was up and down, up and down. And I had a poncho on, so I wasn't wet, but it was still like, it's still a chilly rain. Like, uh, I get to this little Amish hotel with a restaurant attached to it. And I walk up and the first thing I see is a a gentleman and his family. And he's got an Ohio state Buckeyes shirt on. And I was like, it's the first time. And this was, you know, 450 miles or so into the trip. And I find it's the first time I've seen an Ohio state anything. And I'm like, Okay, it's a good sign. Right. So I check in. I go to the back to the restaurant because I'm starving. Even though I stopped at this giant candy store just up the road, I've never seen a candy <laughs> store that big in my life. And I was like, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to spend all my money eating candy. But I sit down to eat dinner, and they come over to me because they saw the shirt. With, you know, you guys saw the neon version of yeah. this, yep. and they asked what I was doing, why I was doing it, and you know, we talked a little bit. They were from Cleveland. Um, they went and sat back down and they came over. They told our, what told my waitress, like, we're going to pay for his meal. And then they gave me $20. They're like, you know, to get a meal tomorrow. And I was like, well, thank you guys. And I sat there and I was finishing my meal. And then on the other side of me, I heard the Ohio state fight song start playing. So I kind of sat there and I turned and it was a gentleman that was having a meal with two priests. And I could tell, cause it was, you know, the collar. Yeah. So I was like, I hate to interrupt your guy's meal. It's like, please let me know that I'm not mishearing and that I just heard the Ohio state fight song. And they were like, no, no, we're from Akron. Or the one guy was from Akron. I was like, I'm from the Dayton area. So I like, you know what? I just want to let you know, I kind of needed this right now. So I finished my meal. I walked back to my room and there's a couple gentlemen outside smoking. And they were like, man, they were like, did you walk all the way here? And I said, yeah. Cause they had passed me on, on route 40. And I was like, yeah, sure did. Again, we got to talking about why I'm doing it and, and they were like, man, they were both army vets with PTSD. Right. And one guy was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, I never miss my therapy. He's like, every week I'm there. He's like, I can't say the same for the rest of us. And he looked over at his friend and you could tell his friend was like embarrassed by it. And they were like, where are you from, man? And I was like, oh, I'm from Ohio. 
me too. Oh, that's weird. They were like, where are you from? And I was like, oh, the Dayton area. Weird. Us too. I was like, oh. And they're like, well, where near Dayton? And I was like, well, I live in Fairborn now. And they're like, oh, we're from Xenia. No kidding. And my cousin graduated from Xenia High School in 02. And I was like, oh, I was like, what year did you guys graduate? And they're like, 2002. Huh. Like, did you know Scott? And I you know, told him his last name. They're like, yeah, we know. I'm like, man, I, yeah. Right. How does this happen? Um, and, you know, there were other instances, like as I walked, where sure. I would be, whether it was like a hot day in Iowa, you know, all of a sudden somebody came in and they're like, here's a here's a bag of goodies and the restaurant that's just a couple miles up in town, whatever you want, your meal's already paid for. You know, there was always someone or something there when I needed it. And I, I really believe that, you know, religion or whatever your beliefs are aside, I believe that if you do your best to put good out. Right it'll come back to Absolutely. you. So yeah, it Absolutely. was that, that kept me going that, and just running into people, you know, just sitting down and, and, and you hear other people that are going through the same things you're going through or that you've been through and you help each other out. You know, it takes a village. It really does. And yep. I think, you know, kind of go along with like what you were saying about other people helping. I think we've gotten away from that in general as a society. I think that's a huge thing. And that's kind of one thing I really want as I go forward with whatever I can manage to do post walk with the walk, it's uh, you know, with the hall across the country name and whatnot is I want to encourage people to get out one and get active because it's, it's proven that being active does help with your mental health. Right. And it doesn't, you don't have to walk across the country for some people. It could just be walking around your block, walking right. to the end of the driveway. I don't expect everybody to be as stubborn and bullheaded as me and just say, look, I'm going to go from couch to across the country, but get outside in real sunlight, you know, right. real vitamin D and meet people, talk right. to people. We, we don't talk to each other enough. And I think that that's a huge, even, even among families, you know, we're most of us, we're all on our phones and I'm guilty of it. So I'm not, I'm not casting, I'm not throwing stones in a glass house here. I, you know, I'm guilty of it. We go out to eat and all, everybody at the table's on their phones. You know, what, ha, you know, growing up and here I go, I'm 40 years old and I'm talking about back in the good old days, you know, <laughs> right. you all sat around the table mm-hmm. and you talked, yep. you know, and now it, we, we keep getting further and further away from that. And I think that that's something I want to encourage with however, whatever I can do as far as haul across the country going forward. I want to want that to be the focus is sure. people being a little bit more active, you know, taking a, um, a firsthand approach or not a firsthand. I don't know how to explain it. Attacking their mental health head on rather than letting their mental health attack them. Yeah. And, you know, get out there. Cause I really believe, especially, you know, I, there's 1800 people right now or so that follow along on Facebook and, so many of them echo the same sentiments. Like, you know, I've, I've had my struggles. I've struggled with this or that. There are people out there that are going through the, the things you're going through, if not worse, right. connect with them, be yeah. each other's backup, you know? And right. I think that that's, I think that that's huge. And that definitely helped me. So you're, you've set out from Rehoboth beach. You're going to go 3,100 plus miles, um, 15 or so miles a day. You said 15 to 20. Initially, yeah, that was the goal until I kind of got in shape a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. So what was your biggest, let's talk two things. What was your biggest surprise? And I'm sure, you know, you <laughs> can't be prepared for everything, right? right? So what was your biggest surprise when you take off on this trip? <sighs> um, I mean, when I initially took off, it was the uh, amount of things that, when, especially when I was trying to backpack this thing, it was the amount of things that I thought I was going to be able to carry right. ag- against the 
the amount of stuff I ended up carrying. The first night I got to my campsite, it was it was almost dark. It was it was dark when I got into the town, and I, there was a police officer outside. And I'm like, hey, is there somewhere I can throw up my tent? This is what I'm doing. And he was like, well, if you go down here and turn left, um, that's where they let the homeless people put their tents up. And I was kind of like, in my head, I'm like, man, I, I, my first night, I don't know if I'm really ready for that. Right. So I walked into the park that closed at eight o'clock, about an hour and a half before I got there. And I just kind of looked around, put my tent up under the gazebo and I opened my bag up and I was like right next to a trash can. And I was like, don't need this. Don't need, <laughs> I just started pitching right. stuff out first night. Um, but, you know, and it was a trial and error type thing, you know, sure. and then after that second night, once I got the stroller, because the first two days, the only food I got was if I stopped at a restaurant along the way and or a gas station and got some Gatorade or water. Right. So um, got the stroller and I was able to carry extra water. I could put the backpack there and just push everything. And it really took a large load. It, w- it was amazing the difference in how my feet and obviously my feet and back felt pushing things sure. as opposed to having all that weight straight down sure. on on my feet. So then what was your lowest point? You remember, like, where was the point where you're like, I'm not going to quit, but man, if I'm going to, today's the day. I love the people. I, I Again, I loved everybody on this journey, and I loved the people in this state, but Wyoming, I would be okay if I never went back to Wyoming. Really? Um, you know, as soon as I got into Cheyenne, you know, on the eastern end of the state, was the first time I really got above 5,000, above a mile above sea level. Yeah. That's pretty north. Yeah. 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 I, I veered up that, that way. Wow. Cause I was on, I was on route 30 through that entire part of the journey. And then once I got to Wyoming, I jumped on I-80 till I got to California because okay. in those States, since the roads are so sparse, you're allowed to walk on the highway. Okay. Um, so yeah, I get to Cheyenne. I throw my tent up in a, in a, uh, like a KOA or an RV park. They're like, yeah, we got a spot. Go ahead. And uh, I get some food and everything feels fine. I wake up the next day and it was just like, I was dizzy. You know, I was like lightheaded. I couldn't catch my breath. And I'm like, man, what's going on? I walked seven miles to the other side of town and just, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, but I got a hotel room. I was like, what is wrong with me? And then I started talking to some friends and you know, especially some people that have done like, uh, they've done the Appalachian trail and things like that. Like, sure. dude, it's elevation sickness. And I was like, but I'm only 6,000 feet. Like you live at 400 feet dummy. And I was like, right. Okay. So I tried to wake up the next day and I was still like, I felt better, but I still didn't feel good. And I had like a 26 or a 28 mile day planned because I was really the next civilization of any kind. So I was like, okay, we're gonna do one more night. And then at the end of that night, I ended up having some gastro problems. So I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't catch a break. Wow. So I stayed in the hotel for three total nights in Cheyenne. And then finally I was like, you know what, we're going. And then, you know, it, apparently Wyoming is actually the windiest state in the country. <laughs> it's the first time in my life I've ever seen the, uh, like the snowdrift fences too, along the highway. But like I start work, you know, start going that day. And in that 28 miles, I went from 6,000 feet in Cheyenne to 8,300 feet oh in Buford, Wyoming, which is a city of the population of one. Um, it is the highest point along I-80. Uh, no and it's uh, there's a gas station there. And I, you know, I walked up, and they were open 24 hours, luckily. I was starting to get dark, and I had my headlamp on, and a highway patrolman pulls up. And she's like, I'm just making sure you're okay. I was like, I'm dying. Right. <laughs> like, I was like, do you know if the gas station's still open? I'm starving. I'm, I can barely breathe. He's like, yeah. He's like, the lights are on. He's like, I think they're still open. So I got to load up on some food. They let me put my tent up, like, off to the side where, you nice. know, where it wasn't where somebody would run me over, thankfully. Right. And then. Who was the one? 
uh, it was the story that I read was like a guy wanted to make a town and he used to be the mayor, but I don't think he actually so, lives there the anymore. Mayor? Like, that's yeah, yeah, he, yeah, right. like, yeah it's, it was some kind of funky thing where they wanted, he wanted to have like the smallest town in the country. So they somehow incorporated huh. it, but yeah, there was, and there was a house right there behind it where I guess he used to live. No kidding. But, um, so yeah, and then I get going that day and I go from like there in Buford down back down to like 7,000 feet towards Laramie, which is like down in a bowl. And then later on in Wyoming, you know, I actually felt the real wind for the first time. There was a wind warning and, uh, I had just the night before I had set up under an overpass, which is usually what I tried to, if if it was going to rain, I would under an overpass, put the tent up, um, that night, um, got up and I was like, Oh, it's a wind warning. I'm like, Oh, that's not that big a deal. So I went to this gas station, <laughs> had some, had some Indian food, which apparently, um, Wyoming is huge on Indian food, which caught me by surprise. And it was also like the first time I really got into eating sure. Indian food. And then I found out I loved it, but, uh, I got done with that and I tried to go up the, what is technically the off ramp, but for me is the on ramp. Cause you have to walk facing traffic and it was gusting over 70 miles an hour. I couldn't even push the stroller up the ramp. Oh my so gosh. I was like, okay, turned around, went right back under the overpass, pulled my little camping chair out. I was like, we're going to wait a few hours, let this die down. I ended up doing about 11 miles that day. That's all I could manage before, uh, you know, daylight ran me out. And then after that in Wyoming, I again, under an overpass right. and I'm not really thinking cause I am not an outdoorsman. I put the tent up and didn't realize that I put the tent up in a drainage ditch. Oh, so no. I woke up <laughs> and like I was dry. Right. And I, at the time I had two sleeping pads because um, with all the pelvic issues and, and everything, like I needed a little bit more cushion. It's like me and my top sleeping pad were dry, but my tent was sitting in, in water and my bottom sleeping pad uh. was soaked. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I got out and looked around. I'm like, you moron. <laughs> so I get out and I start, I start like cleaning everything up to get walking for the day. And as I'm like trying to roll up the bottom sleeping mat and kind of like, sque- you know, squeegee it out a little bit, my sleeping bag falls off my stroller oh. into the sitting water. And oh. I was like, this is, this is fantastic. I was like, I, you know, so I get that dried out. And then like, I think it was one of my last two days in Wyoming. Like I said, this was, people were great, but like, I just, I kept getting curveball after curveball. There was a real tiny town with a, a, like an off brand truck stop there. So I was like, Oh, thank God food, walk in, grab some food. And I always look at the weather, obviously. Right. And I'm like, ah, 30% chance of storms. Like I'm good. They're going south of here anyway. Cool. So I take this frontage road off 80 just to be safer. And I don't even get a mile into the walk. And it is like 45 to 50 degrees. So it's chilly and it's thunderstorming. And oh, it's hitting no. all the walls, like the canyon walls around me. And I've got my, all I've got is my headlamp. Um, I had a like a little... Um, generic poncho. I lost my good poncho in Indiana and I never ended up getting like another good one to replace it. I had like, like the little generic Walmart ones, but it kept right. me dry enough because I, I really did. Other than these few days, I didn't really run into a lot of rain. I got lucky, but I got soaked and there's cars going by me on this frontage road and I'm getting splashed. And I looked and tried to find an underpass to sleep at. And I'm like, cool. So I'm like, I got Google maps under the the stroller cover so I can look at it and I'm walking, I'm getting soaked and lightning and finally the storms move out, but it's still like a cold mist. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I can make this, make this work. And I walk past the underpass cause it was really more of like an access road. Right. It wasn't a true underpass. So I'm like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. There's no lights. 
there's a Union Pacific Railroad like 200 feet to my left and then I-80 is like 500 feet up off to my right and it's just dark. I'm in Wyoming. I'm waiting for a wolf to attack me. Right. So finally, you know, I keep looking, you know, using the headlamp and I'm looking around trying to find level ground and eventually I find something that is somewhat level and I take all of this still wet gear, throw it on the ground and I get in the tent and it's like 35, 40 degrees. I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm so oh, cold. Man. It's the most miserable I've been. And I just get in the sleeping bag and I just wait for my body heat to kind of warm everything up. And then every time I would move and my feet would rub like another part of the sleeping bag, I would be wet. But finally I got to sleep. Sun came up the next day. It ended up being a beautiful day. And that was when I going into Evanston the next day, that was my last day in Wyoming. But man, it was Wyoming was a rough, rough state for me. <laughs> so that's the bottom. I'm assuming that the finish was probably the top. But other than that, what was your, what was the high point? What was this? You're like, man, I can conquer anything. I'm, I'm going to walk 50 miles today. Surprisingly though, uh, before we get into that, the finish was actually not the, the best part. Really? Um, and I had talked with a lot of people I had talked to, they said, you know, and it's still something that I deal with now is that the finish for a lot of people was really anticlimactic and they do, they do deal with a lot of post walk depression. Really? Um, one of my friends that actually, actually a gentleman who owns the Domino's in Enon, uh, we went to high school together and each month at the end of the month, he would donate a dollar for every mile I walked and he was in the army and he's like, man, he's like, it kind of sounds like what I would be, what I would go through when I came off a of deployment. And I'm like, again, stop that. I, I didn't serve. Like I, the only right. danger I was in was getting struck by lightning in Wyoming. But you go from being on the road in a tent, 80, 90% of the time, you know, you're on your own all the day, all the time right. to trying to go back and figure out what normal is. So like, yeah, as I got to the end, I was more like, I was enjoying the beauty in, in the parts of California that I went through. Um, but I was kind of like nervous. I, I was, I, I, my anxiety was high, but I think for me there, it was hard to say what is, you know, I, I, and a lot of people have asked me that. What was the best part? Yeah. The, the best part I'll always say we're the people there. Sure. There's, it's hard to say, like I got to go to the Dan Gable hall of fame and wrestling museum in Iowa. Um, you know, I was a high school wrestler. I wrestled in yeah. college a little bit and I got to meet, uh, Jim Miller who coached, uh, at Wartburg for 20 some years. He was basically the D NCAA division three version of Dan Gable as a coach. Okay. He won 10 national, 10 or 11 national championships. Um, he helps run the museum there. I, I bought a copy of his book, do it anyway, which is like his motto, which is a really cool motto to have. You know, a lot of times we don't feel like, you know, getting up and going to the gym or getting up right. and cooking breakfast. We would rather stop at McDonald's, do it anyway. You know, it's, 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 it's a really keep it simple, stupid philosophy, sure. but Jim is a fantastic guy. And like, I tried to buy the book and he goes up to the counter and he like grabs the $20 and he gives it back to me. He signs the book for me. Wow. Um, yeah. And they did an interview with me at the Dan Gable hall of fame and shared it. Oh, um, nice. you know, a little bit later in Iowa, I got to go, I went and saw the field of dreams field. Like I got oh, a rental car yeah. for that day and drove like an hour and a half each way just to go. Cause I was like, again, when am I coming back to Iowa? Right. <laughs> um, but Pound for pound, like as far as the good that happened for me and the amount of time I was in a state, Utah was was the best. Really? Yeah. I was in my first city in Utah, Colville, and I had met a family or a husband and wife, older couple, and I'm assuming it was them because I didn't talk to a lot of the people early on, but they connected me with Steve Ellison, who was a, a congressman out there, House of Representatives. But in Utah, he's helped introduce 
40 different mental health bills and acts and things okay. out there. Yeah. And they've got like an emergency text service where people that need help can, you know, text this and, and, and get somebody to talk to them. And oddly enough, as I was coming through town, he was at a, like an end the stigma conference, not far South of Salt Lake. And we were trying to connect and he was trying to like shoehorn me in to see if they could get me a chance to speak as I was coming through. I was like, man, that would have been awesome. Right. But he connected me with Salt Lake City Fire Department that let me that gave me a place indoors to sleep that night. Wow. He connected me to another gentleman just outside of Salt Lake City in Tooele, John Gossett, who runs his foundation, Life's Worth Living. Mm-hmm. Um, every year at the end of April, they do a walk from Tooele County to West Wendover, Nevada, which is right along I-80 through the Salt Flats, the mm-hmm. same route I took, but they were on like they do it on a frontage road, and it's the largest uh suicide prevention walk in the country. It's a hundred miles. And, uh, you know, so I, I got to make all these great connections. Um, I got to, I stopped at the park city fire station. They let me sleep inside. They cooked dinner and allowed me to eat with the firefighters. Um, you know, it was, like I said, I was only in Utah for eight days, but like the amount of goodwill that, that was shown to me in those eight days was phenomenal. John actually for the stretch from Tooele to West Wendover is, uh, almost a hundred miles and there's nothing. There was no gas station. There's wow. no, not there's one gas station, 23 miles in. And after that, it is 77 miles of salt flat. Wow. And John promoted it on his page. And he's like, Hey, would anybody be willing to drive out and drop Joe off meals? And oh, wow. I had three day, every, every day. I had at least one meal delivered to me from a person. Wow. Yeah. It That's was terrific. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. That's just, I can't quit smiling. That's like super good news. See, I could just sit yeah. here and listen to right? stories. See, I told you I wouldn't say much. <laughs> Why are we doing a podcast? I know, Joe I know. A podcast. I know, seriously. <laughs> um, seriously. So let's talk logistics. So in most cases, you're walking at the uh, at the curb line mm-hmm. of the street. How many close calls did you have? Honestly, not many. Really? I was, I was in Southeast Ohio uh, going towards Belmont. And I had one driver in a truck who either I couldn't tell if he was looking at his phone or not, but he was probably 25, 30 feet away from me, looked up and saw that he was over the over the shoulder line and got back over Um, in outside of Tahoe uh, going over the summit there. um, I believe it was Echo Summit. There's no, especially because they had just had a winter storm come through three days before. So I lucked out with the fact that the roads were even plowed. But there was no, there was less shoulder than there normally is because all the sure. snow's pushed up there. And of course, on a two lane road, there's a semi coming my way. And he gave me a few select uh, hand gestures, <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I had just passed a California Highway Patrolman, talked right. to her, and she was like, hey, just be careful, you know. And I was walking sideways, like doing the shuffle along the road when I would see cars coming because I'm trying to take up as little room as I can without sure. jumping over the over the ledge. Um, yeah, it was. I probably only had three or four of those where it was yeah. even remotely close. Like, mo- and most of the time, I stayed as f- as long as there was. It was paved. I was as far off to the side as I could. But yeah, I, I lu- again lucked out that I didn't have to like duck and duck and cover at all. Right, no diving <laughs> off the edge of the road. That's great. <laughs> what was your longest mileage? My longest day, I believe, was thirty three or thirty four miles. Oh my gosh! And that was you know obviously in the summertime when the days get longer, which is counterproductive because it's also hot and you're, you know, you're sweating a bunch, but I was actually looking, I wished I had had like summertime when I got later on in the journey. So I, you know, you always wanted to do more because it seemed like at the end of the day or at the end of the walk, 
obviously less daylight because it was in October and November. Sure. So I, I didn't feel like I didn't get enough time outside. You know, it was, it was to that point where I was like, I still want to be outside for 16 hours a day. I don't <laughs> <All> like <right>. this. <laughs> All right. So there was a point in time we we met with you when you came through Fairborn. Yep. Uh, during the and we had a conversation. Then you told a story. I think about uh, you wanted to make sure that you walked every mile of this trip. That there was not a a single portion of that that you didn't cover on foot. Yeah. And so you told a story though where you couldn't go over a pedestrian bridge. Right. <laughs> Well, no, it was, it was a, a it was a regular, regular bridge. bridge. Yeah, there's no pedestrian. You couldn't access. walk over this right. bridge. They wouldn't let you do it legally. Right. So how did you overcome that, and what what was your workaround? Um, I would. I had a few instances like that on the trip where, because um, my rule going in was uh, no vehicle travel unless it was a medical emergency, meaning an ambulance was taking me somewhere, or a weather emergency. Yep. And obviously the bridge was a different one because that was neither, but I couldn't walk there. And if I tried to go around, it would have been like 60 miles up and then 60 miles back down. So right. logistically, that was kind of asinine. But I uh, got the wall. I got the got a, a gentleman that I, whose house I had stayed at a couple of nights ago. I was in uh, Maryland. He took me over the bridge. And what I did is I added a mile to that day. Because okay. it was about a mile long bridge, I believe. So I added a mile to that day to make sure I made up for that mile that I lost. Sure. Going into Nebraska, I ran into a really bad thunderstorm after my wheel had fallen off. So I was pushing the cart, two wow. wheels, thunderstorm. Wow. A lady pulls up. She's like, put your stroller in here. So it drove me the four and a half miles that was left to my hotel. I got up the next day um, before I went to the bike shop and went, ouch. I went two, two and a quarter miles or two and a half miles back. I covered that distance. Okay. Um, and then leaving or going into Carson City, Nevada, I had... Uh, no, it was a snowstorm. That was the first. That was the front end of the snowstorm that went through the Sierras that dumped like 35 inches up there, wow. um, lower elevation. So I didn't get as much. But between Dayton, Nevada, yes, Dayton, and uh, um, Carson City, and it, it was only like a 10 or 12 mile walk. It dumped, and right. but it was a, it was like a warmer snow. It's like I didn't mind it. I was having fun with it, but I had turned up a road. And there was a firefighter from a station I'd stayed at a couple nights ago, just happened to drive past. And he's like, dude, he's like, let's get your stroller up. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm only got it like two miles left. He's like, no, he's like, there's no shoulder up here. They're not plowing this road. I don't want you on this. Cause and again, it was two lanes each way. Right. And as we got up going towards my motel six, I was like, and there were like cars going. I was like, yeah, I probably would have been in the hospital. So got there, same thing the next day. Once the snow, you know, I woke up and man, Nevada and California, their, their DOTs are obviously, they obviously deal with a lot of snow because they were on point with clearing stuff. Wow. But I woke up, said I went four and a half, I think it was, I think it was, it was two and a half mile, two to four miles, whatever it was. I made sure, I always made sure that I covered that distance because I was never, if I had to take that ride, I was going to cover the miles regardless. Sure. So I did. Wow. So that was like, I think it was three times, three or four times on the entire trip. And it was never for more than. Uh, five miles of it. But which again is amazing that you made up every one of those miles so that you made sure that you walked the 31, 3189s. That was 76. 76. Right. Because nobody's keeping, um, like, I mean, nobody's watching that, right? right. I mean, like, <laughs> nobody's like saying, hey, Joe, <laughs> yeah. you missed it. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> like, I mean, there's five miles in there. Like, you know, right. <laughs> what, Out of 3,100 miles, like, right. you could have, you know, Give or take, right? I mean, nobody's going to fault you for that. But well, the crazy thing was, and I actually did the math later at the, at the end of the walk. I was bored, and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm, I will have walked three thousand one hundred seventy-six miles." I added up if I hadn't 
made up the miles for those little bits. And it was less than, it was less than a half a percent of the walk that I wouldn't have actually done if I had, if, if I decided to not make it up. Right. But for me, it was, you know, it was an integrity thing. Like I couldn't, I I couldn't live with it. Like I couldn't walk around and tell people like, yeah, I walked all the way across the country because I would be like, I, I, I cheated. You know, like I couldn't, I couldn't, right. I can't, I couldn't lie to somebody like that. It, it would defeat the message for me. I get it. I get sure. it. We did, uh, we did the Disney marathon a couple of years ago and they cut the race short because of the high heat and they cut it by like a mile, like 1.6 miles. And we were in the portion of the race where we didn't, we didn't do all 26.2. So I'm like, dang, we didn't do the full marathon. I'm like, <laughs> Now we gotta go back. Now we gotta we gotta right. do it again because right, we didn't right. we didn't do the full marathon. Like so we gotta go back to Disney again. And like right. even though we walked like <laughs> two miles to get to the you know start line and right, right. half a mile to get to the you know start line literally <laughs> you know walk a mile and a half to get to the you know corrals and you know half a mile to get to the start line. I mean we well made up the exactly you know, right. the part they cut out. But I'm like no 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 <laughs> it doesn't count right right. But so I, I get it. Been good on your integrity, and I think yeah. what what I was impressed the whole time was one your dedication. I mean, nobody forced you to do this. Like you, you did this all on your own. But why you did it, and I mean, I think we talked about this a couple of times in the office. But you know, a lot of people who bring awareness to mental health are. They just, they do it in such a way that, you know, it doesn't always, how do I want to say this? <laughs> they don't do it for the right reason sometimes. Yeah. I was gonna say, it's, it seems a bit disingenuous at yeah. times. Right. And, and you're doing it for the right reasons and you bring such um, validity to it and what's the word I want? Stubbornness. Integrity is a good word. But I mean, you give permission to other people to let them know that it's okay. And you're a guy. (laughs) Right. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal because for a lot of men, it is such a stigma. I mean, it's a stigma in general. Right. But especially for men who want to have this rough, tough this doesn't affect me. I have to like, and especially guys that are athletes are, you know, this, I am a man. Right. I mean, it's, they don't, they they don't want, they don't want people to know that they've got stuff up here. That's not working. Right. Right. And so to know that, that a guy like you is saying it's okay to not be okay. And the fact, the fact that you we're staying along the way in firehouses and talking to, to police officers and telling them what you were doing. I think that to me was even more incredible because having, having someone who is a firefighter who I'm married to and knowing the men and women who work on our police and fire departments here who deal with stuff like that, knowing that there is somebody out there willing to talk to them about this kind of stuff and raise awareness about it and say, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, 
and you're shedding light on it and saying, if a guy like me can say that this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm dealing with, uh, you're making it okay for them. So thank you for that. Um, and kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah. Actually, when I was in uh, Tama, Iowa, Illinois, Tama. I can't remember. And if they hear this, they're going to yell at me. Um, but the, uh, I think it was in Iowa cause I was in Bell Plain the night before. So I still was in Tama, but, uh, they, their police chief said, Hey, we got a room for you inside. And they actually, and I, I think a lot of departments around, you know, other departments do this, but they have people that are, um, like not crisis counselors, but they're there if someone's struggling. So if like, cause they had lost a, a firefighter that was one of those guys that everybody loved, you know, like, and it was one of those things where it was like, you'd never guess because he was always happy and he was always telling jokes. And I was like, and I tell that story to other people. It's like, I was that guy. Right. Except a lot of my jokes were always me joking about the ways I wanted to kill myself. Sure. Like that was how I, that's how I, you know, dissemble everything. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make a joke about killing myself. Everybody will laugh. And at first everybody's like, that's ah, funny. And then it was like, I think you might be serious. He jokes about that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right. But they, they lost this guy and then they started this where, you know, certain members of the department, both the firefighters, the EMS and the, the police department would be certified to listen and, and help people that, that needed uh, assistance in those areas. And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Um, logistically, how'd your equipment hold up over that 3,100 miles? Um, my solar pay, the first off the, the people that donated all of my gear to me were fantastic. That was the one thing before I left, none of the gear that I had outside of a couple spare battery packs for the phone, because I was like, I might hit this point where I'm literally out in the middle of nowhere in the desert and I'm going to need all this energy. Um, so aside from like three battery packs that I bought, all of my gear was donated. Really? Yeah. Um, Jackson's grandmother, uh, Karen donated my backpack. Uh, one of the gentlemen who's now, who I now work with, with at Meyer, but I used to work for when I was at Meyer. um, he donated a backpack or not a backpack, but a sleeping bag, a sleeping pad and a solar charger. Um, oh, wow. he was, yeah, a uh, great guy. Uh, I, I can't say former Marine. I've learned that lesson. He's a Marine. Uh, he's retired. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, once he heard about it, he was like, what else can I do? What else can I do? You know, he had relatives that came into town from California that bought the t-shirts we were selling, uh, pre-sale, you know, to help yeah. raise funds. Um, but yeah, all that gear was donated. And once I got through town, like the only thing that really I switched out was the stroller because the hundred dollar Walmart stroller I bought, um, finally met its match on the Eastern edge of Ohio. I had a bunch of water in it and it was one of the, uh, one of the heat, heat waves we had. And I tried to take it down over a curb. The handle, handle kind of broke. It could mm. still work, but and it wasn't a big deal, but the handle stayed down here rather than up around, you know, where it was more comfortable to push. Um, and I switched out some sleeping pads. Um, I got to around Bourbonnet, Illinois, which is about an hour south of Chicago. And I started dumping some stuff because I had, I was, again, I was carrying too much. Sure. I had like three sleeping pads at the time. So I dumped one. Um, that was like the thinnest of the three, just because I was like, well, now all you're really doing is taking up room and you don't really help me out that much. Um, at one point I accidentally, um, pitched my sleeping bag. So when I got to, uh, Nebraska, I can't remember where it was, but somebody donated, uh, one of the families called ahead. I was, I was at an RV park in Nebraska who allowed me to stay there. These, yeah. this one family was like, come over here with us. 
Um, we were talking, ha- you know, joking, having a good time. They went and called ahead to like Cabela's and had another sleeping bag for the end of the trip or a, a colder sleeping bag. That's what it was. Cause mine was only rated like my original one was rated to 50 degrees. So I was like, Oh man, like what if I get to, you know, Nevada or California in the Sierras and it's really cold. So they called it, they went ahead, paid for it. And I picked it up on the way through. Wow. Um, but the solar panel was about the only thing other than the backpack that made it from the original thing from A to B. Wow. I ended up having to buy a new tent cause my original tent um, got too many holes in it because really when you're when you're trying to do this, it's not the, the, especially the one person tents. It's basically like a bugs, a, a mosquito netting right. with a rain fly to put over top. And eventually just from being you know packed away and, and, and pulled sure. out so many times, it just started getting shredded. And I hate mosquitoes. So <laughs> right. I ended up getting rid of that. And then actually a, a, a couple that's married now that uh, both went to high school with me. Um, I was in I was in Salt Lake and they donated they called ahead to REI, I believe, because there was an REI out there. And I picked up a, went out, or no, they said, hey, tell us how much the tent is. We'll reimburse you for it. So I found the smallest one I could. It was actually a two-man tent, which was nice for the end of the end of the walk. I was like, man, I should have done this earlier. Because the first one just kind of felt like a, a plastic fabric coffin. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the solar panel held out the entire time. Um, wow. I was surprised because it was out in the sunlight for especially in the heat of summer for 14, 15, 16 hours a day. Um, the backpack held up mostly well. It did get a couple tears later on just from putting too much weight in, in sure. it. And, but yeah. How, yeah. Many, how many pairs of shoes did you go through? Uh, really? I probably only went through eight, but I bought a ninth pair because oh at, when I was in, um, I was just outside of Davis in California and it was right after the time that my good stroller had finally, it finally bit in the dust. Um, the wheel completely, the front wheel completely snapped off to where there was no fixing it. So I got to my hotel in like Eastern Sacramento, little motel six. And that was like, okay, I got to start dumping stuff again. What do I have? What can I live with? And I, at that point between more, you know, the people that had donated a little extra and the money I had saved, I, I, you know, did the logistics. I could actually stay in hotels the rest of the trip. So I was like, I don't need to worry about camping. So what I did is I threw the stroller in the dumpster at the Motel 6 because it was not functional. But, like, I put the sleeping pads and the bag off to the side because there were homeless out there. And But there, I, as much as there were, I didn't see any, and I didn't want to walk up and be like, like, I didn't see any close enough. Like, right. they had a couple tent cities, and I didn't want to walk up and be like, hey, guys, who wants some <laughs> stuff? But I was like, I'm going to leave this outside of the dumpster in case someone comes by and right. could use it. Sure. Um, but that's when I started packing everything in the backpack, and... So I, I've switched again. I've switched the weight from out in front of me to being back on my shoulders. So like my feet started hurting and all I could think of was stupid shoes. It's got to be the shoes, right? <laughs> so I bought the, I bought actually the ones I'm wearing. Um, I was actually having dinner with a gentleman from 11 Warriors, which is an Ohio State mess- uh, football website that's also got a message board. And I did like yeah. a weekly catch up thing on the website. And he, he lives out there and he met me and he's like, well, we'll go to um, – I can't remember what, what store it was, Fleet Feet or something like that. And I bought a, I bought a new pair and I was like, oh yeah, these feel great. And then like a couple of days, my, my feet still hurt. And I was like, oh dummy. Like you, you basically like all the weight Shit I had lost, weight, yeah. I put the weight right, right back on yeah, in the back. Right. I'm like, oh, you're, you're an idiot. But <laughs> you know, I love the ultra shoes. Like they were, they were fantastic. Once I got into ultras, like I, I will never probably wear another tennis shoe or, you know, running shoe, walking shoe of another brand. Yeah. 
So if you're listening, Ultra, there's a sponsorship opportunity to be yeah, had here. There we right? go. Yeah. <laughs> we tried. We tried. We tried so bad. Right. <laughs> what uh, if you and if you had to do this all over again, what would you do differently next time? Um, or would you do it again? I would you do it? Yeah. Honestly, if if I had a way to like if I had a sponsor or I had like ways to fund it, I would do it in a heartbeat because I'd already as the walk wound down, I was running through more walks. Hmm. Um, uh, there was a gentleman a few years ago, Pete Kostelnik, who's an ultra runner. Um, and back at, you know, a few years ago, he was considered one of the best multi-day runners in the country. He actually did what they called a key to key walk. He went from Lanai, Alaska to Key West, Florida, oh, wow. 5,300 miles on foot. Whoa. And he actually still holds the current record for an east to west crossing in 42 days. He oh ran, yeah, he did gosh. east to west in 42 days. He was covering about 70 miles a day. And I was reading about it and he said, well, I do this other one. I'm going to take a little bit more time to myself or to talk to people along the way. So I'm only going to do like 50 to 55 miles. And I was like, good night. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, so this guy actually did both of his, he did his 5,300 mile walk and his 3000 mile walk in less time than it took me to do a 3,100 mile walk. <laughs> but, um, but okay, yeah, it's you know, all about the journey. It is. It and really all is. About the journey. And he had the benefit of experience, right? Right. So, and he was, yeah. and he was in shape. He was an ultra runner. I was fat warehouse guy who gets <laughs> off couch and tries to walk across the country. <laughs> And I'm, did it. and I'm which still is more fat impressive. Wire, I'm still, yeah, I'm still exactly. fat warehouse guy, but um, which is more impressive, frankly. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, and you had you way know. more of an experience than he did. He did yeah, his fast. Right. What did he right, see? Right, right. So yeah, I thought about that, and then I, there was another one where I, w- I was thinking, like, man, it would really be great, and it would take a lot of time to hit all 48 southern contiguous states mm. and Alaska, mm. you know. Um, but unfortunately, like bills and stuff. Yeah. have to be paid sure. so adulting yeah right. like if i it, you know if i had it to do over again i would do something like that and it would take a lot more planning because i'd have to plan like how long is it going to take to go from here to here right with the seasons is it going to am i going to go this left to right and then up and down you know right. how would i do that but i i would love to do it again but it would take like it really would take a significant investor to be like, look, here's the money to justify quitting your job and doing this again. But if it came up, I would do it in a heartbeat. I had the one thing I've always tried to tell everybody is like, especially the people that I've talked to since I came back is that little over six month period is probably the happiest I have been in a long time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Despite being you know, alone and by oh, myself, yeah. it was I was connecting with so many people in a positive way. I was like, that's why I was like, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Right. I would find more wacky way, not like wacky, like the, the guy who ran through the, ran across the country in the bear suit, right? which, you know, apparently got news coverage, but the guy that's from Dayton didn't get any coverage looking at you, WDTN, WHIO. <laughs> um, Shame on you. I had, there were, then there were so many people that like tagged the hall across the country yeah. page and like, Oh my God, look at this. And I'm like, I guess next time I'll just wear a G string when I do this, like something to draw attention to myself, I guess, you know, as if what I was doing was, you know, and for me, it wasn't about like, I want to be popular, but it was about the spread the message Yeah, Yeah. because there are people out there that are struggling. And like, and like you said, Mm. you know, men, especially, you know, my uncle in 2004 committed suicide. Mm. Um, You know, my generation and the older generation, we were taught you don't experience emotions because we're men. You know, it's kind of like Robin Hood men in tights. We're men, manly men. You know, it's, you can right. be happy and that's it. 
You, there's no sad. Uh, anger. Ang yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Happy and mad. Happy and mad. There, you know, you're not allowed to be depressed. You're not allowed to be sad. And if right. you're sad, it's you'll get over it or toughen up, you know. Yep. So, I, you know, I want as many people to hear that from a regular Joe, no pun intended, to, to give them that, sure. that, that hope or that belief that it's okay to open up and talk about it. Sure. You know, even if it is just you know, on, on an Instagram post, you know, or on a, on your Facebook post, like a lot of people, you know, and I had people not in, during the walk, but like years ago that would tell me like, Oh, you're not that suicidal. Cause you've never actually tried it. Or you're not that depressed. Cause you didn't try to kill yourself. It was like, right. I don't think you guys understand how depression works. Right. right. But you know, and I think there's getting to be, you're always going to have naysayers in that regard, but I, I believe there is a more welcoming community than, community than a lot of people realize, but it's still, it's, it's hard for a lot of people. It was hard for me, but again, once I set the, the goal of, I am going to do this walk, I was like, I've got to be completely open about it. And when I'm struggling, I've got to let people know that I'm struggling. And like, right. and I've put a few posts up, like since I've been back, um, I really don't want to beat the dead horse and keep talking about how I've been, you know, struggling since I got back. But if it helps one of the other 1800 people that are following along or somebody shares it and somebody sees that share and they see that this guy did this and he's struggling, but it's okay because he still gets up and go, tries to get after it. If that gives other people hope, then it's worth it. Right. You know, all my, all my, you know, crap is okay. If it helps somebody else, I'm yeah. okay with that because I mean, really with what I've been through, I, I'm starting, I don't feel invincible, but I don't, know that I'll ever get to that point of wanting to hurt myself again. Right. But it, so that gives me a little bit of strength knowing that, you know, and yeah, again, I walked 3,176 miles, you know, I walked through thunderstorms. I walked through Tahoe when it was seven degrees, when I started walking one day and I was getting frostbite in my legs before the sun came up. Like I've been through some, some things that a lot of people don't go through physically, mentally. If I can be that example, then then let's go for it, you know? But I think, you know, the, your, it's interesting because just the 3,176 miles, that journey alone, just even hearing you talk about that is such a great metaphor. I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit just at the beginning. It's such a great metaphor for mental health in general, right? Because, just like at the very beginning, you know, the plan was thrown out the window. Initially, great metaphor, but it doesn't matter where you are on your journey. You're going to have days when you are doing great. Even after 3,176 miles, you're, you're going to have days when it's awesome. But then, you know what? You can have eight days where it's perfect. And then you're going to wake up the next morning and you're just not doing well. And you're going to have a day when it's thunderstorming and lightning. And it's okay. Even after the journey, it's okay. And I think those are the days when you you can share that Facebook post and that Instagram post, and somebody on your page can can see it, and you know, whoever be like, okay, you know, here's here's this guy that just walked across America, and he's he still struggles, and that's okay. And so I think it is helpful because there's this. I feel like there's this myth that like. When we do something big, we think we're fixed. At least, right? I oh, still think yeah. I'm fixed, right? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you do all this stuff, and it's like, okay, I'm good to go. All right, let's get after it. I'm never gonna have issues again. And so, I think it is nice to know that 
ah, he does still have, you know, a struggle from time to time. So it is still okay. Um, so I, I just, man, I think you're awesome. And like, I just, I am, I am proud that you are here with us and I'm, I only know you from this conversation and the one other time you were here, but I am proud of who you are uh, and just all that you have accomplished in the last couple months and um, just what you're doing for the platform of mental health and how much it is needed in uh, the time that this culture is in um, because it is huge. Um, And I don't think we can bring enough light to it. I don't think there can be enough voices because it is, it is so needed. And there's people from so many different walks of life that struggle with it. You know, I mean, I mean, look, we've lost Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain. We lost people that we would look at as regular folks. We're like, these guys had everything, but did they, they, they obviously didn't because they were struggling and, you know, and they took their lives and, you know, there are athletes that do it, you know, firefighters, soldiers. I mean, Soldiers big time. Like there are people from every walk of life that are struggling with mental health. And I think, like you said, with as many people as the more voices we get talking about it, the better, because there might be somebody that, you know, is a walk of life similar to yours. That's like, man, you know, she's struggling. Right. But she gets up. She still goes to therapy. She talks to a therapist. Okay, let's I can do that. I'm going to, I'm going to find a, you know, finding a therapist is very difficult. That's part of the problem that we have. There's just not enough, especially when I got out West, when I was in Wyoming and and Utah or Wyoming, especially I was walking towards Cheyenne and happened to have a woman pull up. I was at a truck stop about to get breakfast and she pulls up and she's like, are you the gentleman walking across the country? I was like, (laughs) yes, ma'am. She's like, so we start talking about her son and her son had just outgrown the children's hospital out there. Mm. And as a diagnosed schizophrenic. So she was on her way to drive him two to three hours to Fort Collins, Colorado to see a specialist. And that is just, that's insane. I like, we can't, we, and obviously out in Wyoming and Utah, like it's a little bit tougher because it's just a more sparsely populated area, but we just, as a society, we have to do better. And, And I don't think, I think people really underestimate how much being kind to one another oh, yeah. sure. does for that. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect in that regard. Like I've said things to people that have hurt people. Sure. It's never been my intent, sure. but you, you know, you never know until after the fact that what you've said is, has hurt somebody. So the, the only thing you can do is, is be earnest from that point on, get better, be better and, and try to do better th- with the next conversation you have with a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we need to do more about being there for each other because it really does take a village you know, yeah. it, I mean, we could all, I, I don't, I think we underestimate how much good we could do for each other. If we, as, as weird as it sounds, if we just got out there and did more for each other, sure. we talk to our neighbors, if we got together with our neighbors and had a cookout, you know, cause you never, you know, you never know what your neighbor's going through. Maybe you've got experience that they could use or vice right. versa, but instead, yeah. And again, I hate to harp on it because we are on a podcast and <laughs> you know, people I have, listen to on their digital devices. Right, and, and I have an Instagram page and a TikTok and a Facebook, <laughs> but as, as close as technology is bringing us, I think it is, is doing a lot to tear us apart. I think we all should be setting aside some time in our days to put the phones in like a, in a Faraday cage, slide them off right. to the side and let's talk again. You know, let's right. get together and let's, let's talk about life. How was work? Well, you know, what's going on in your life? 
And I've noticed that since I came back, you know, I've gone out and, and, and hung out with friends again, which I wasn't doing before because I was struggling so much, right. you know, and that's the crazy thing about depression is how it manifests itself differently for different people. Some people get depressed and they don't eat. They can't eat. They don't want to eat me. I'm like, I'm depressed. Time to eat everything in sight, yep. obviously. <laughs> but for me, it was also isolating myself from the people that I want to be around. Right or not going to the gym. Like I love working out again. You wouldn't know it to look at me, but like, I love to be in the gym. I love to exercise, but getting out the door is the hardest part for me. That's right. And, but a few weeks ago, uh, one of the guys who had the weekly podcast that I checked in with, um, they're from Cincinnati. He had his birthday. So I got a hold of his wife and I was like, Hey, I'm going to come down and surprise everybody. And it was like one of the, it was one of the best days I've had since I came back because I got to talk to people like we were hanging out, like a lot of them. And a lot of them were guys that I only knew from the Facebook page for their podcast. And a lot of us finally meet for the first time face right. to face. And we're just, it's like, we've known each other for years, which we, we sort of have, but we, you know, we were talking, you know, I had a cider, like, which is about the only thing, the alcoholic that I'll even drink anymore, <laughs> but you know, and it, and you know, we just, it was great. It right. was a great time to connect. And like, you know, once you guys had made the, you know, had asked me to come in and do this, like I got excited again. I'm like, I get to talk to people again. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, outside of work, which are still the same people that I've really seen for like the last eight to 10 years of my life. It, it, it's a different vibe, even though right. I'm really, I'm, I've got good relationships with them. It's still like, Oh, this is work related. Like it's all work related. Even though we talk about stuff that's not work, you're still at work. Sure. Right. You know, so the chances I've had to get out and do stuff, I've tried to be cognizant and make the decision to actually get out rather than if somebody's like, Hey, we want to go do, you know, X, Y, or Z for me, it would always be like, Oh, um, you know, I, I uh, uh, and find an excuse, insert right. lame excuse here. And that's one of the things for me that I'm trying to actively change to help my, with my struggle is to get out and, and hang out with my friends or just to meet people more, you know, yeah. and talk to people and have that interpersonal communication that I enjoyed while I was on the walk right. that I hadn't really had for a long time before then. And I didn't realize it. You right. know, you mentioned, and I don't, I know we're over an hour here on this has been an amazing <laughs> conversation and I could listen to this all day. Um, you mentioned those specific cases where people have committed suicide, Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain, I think there's so many more people that maybe have died because of depression that maybe manifests itself in an overdose or, you know, in a, a liver disease because they drink too much. I mean, you know, that uh, equating that depression to destructive behavior is probably if we sat and thought about it would scare the crap out of us. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because I know, you know, I've had some dark days and there have been days where I've probably had too much to drink because I was trying to mask whatever it was I was I didn't want to feel. Right. Um, and that's a that's a reality, man. And especially in, you know, we're in Fairborn, right? Uh, the opioid crisis is real everywhere. It's real here. Uh, a lot of people are hurting mm -hmm. uh, and don't know how to get the help they need for it. So right. again, uh, to reiterate, what Megan said, appreciate you doing this, man. This has been terrific. I mean, it's really been amazing. Yeah, and I and I tend to, you know, stay closer to like anxiety and depression because those yeah. are and well, and I do have addictive thing, you know, obviously I, I'm sugar food, you know, that is my addiction, but my father's an alcoholic, you know, and regardless of what certain people want to believe addiction is a mental health issue. Absolutely. It is a, it is a, 
you know, and people say, you know, oh, don't try X, Y, or Z thing, and then you won't get addicted. The problem is, is our brains are why, if you're an, a, an addict, it's wired to get addicted to something. Right. It's just like the roulette wheel, or you spin the wheel of fortune wheel, and right. what is that thing going to be? You know, I've known people that have been addicted to gambling, like scratch-off tickets, right. or or straight up, you know, especially now with, with FanDuel. Like, I've got a lot of friends who are like, man, I'm winning so much money. I'm like, you might want to be careful, you know? Right. Um, but again, alcoholics, you know, like you said, the opioid crisis. For me, when I was in the accident, they gave me fentanyl immediately once the paramedics got there um, to help with the pain. And I think after three days, I shut off all pain meds other than aspirin um, because, or ibuprofen because I was like, I don't want to, you know, I knew, I knew right. my dad's an alcoholic and, and it runs in other, on my other side of my family too. I was like, I don't want to risk getting addicted. I was sure. like, and I'm, I've got a pretty high pain tolerance. So I was like, I'll just, I'll be fine. Yeah. Like you sure don't want any payments. Just give me the ibuprofen, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But yeah, the, the addiction and the, you know, the addiction is, a huge thing that we tend to overlook when we talk about mental health yeah. because every, uh, because of that line of thinking of, well, just, you shouldn't have done cocaine that one time and then you wouldn't have gotten addicted, but right. Granted, you should never do cocaine. I am not advocating for the use of cocaine. That's an example. right? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you never know. Right. Well, I mean, the reality is, and again, I'm not anywhere close to being a mental health professional. So take this with a grain of salt, but I mean, the reality is, the addictions often are masking that underlying mental health issue um, that we just don't want to deal with. And so we're taking, we're trying even, you know, whatever drug XYZ. Um, And we just, we just don't want to deal with it. It's easier to mask. The best part of your story for me is, you know, life kind of happens in the increments, right? So the best part for me was you really saw the best part of humanity on your trip, right? That's life affirming, man. Like, honestly, I mean, like the fact that people go out of their way to help you who you've never met or met one time just because they, you know, are supporting what you're doing. That's life affirming. Right. I mean, that's great. (laughs) And there were a lot of people that messaged me on the Facebook page and were like, they're like, hey, I don't really struggle with mental health or anything like that. I'm just so happy to see how much good has happened out there while you're out doing this. Like it's reaffirmed that. And, you know, my faith in humanity, that there yeah. is good out there because we're, we're inundated with bad. Right. All we hear is bad, right. you know? So I, you know, again, if, if, and that, and that's another thing where I have to take that as a victory from the walk where I want to look at it like I failed because I didn't raise an X amount of money, but it's like you said, for, for some people it was, a, you know, life affirming, like yeah. there are still good people out there, really great people out there, Yeah. you know? So I had to, you know, I've, and I'm trying to get better at it. I'm still not very good, but at understanding that, we may set a goal or we may say that we want to do this with, or do something with this being the end result. Right. But we might actually get this as the end result and it's perfectly fine because right. it was still a positive end result. It might, it just might not be the one we want, you know? Well, and, and maybe it's a better result because, you know, let's say let's best case scenario. We get people listen to this podcast. They go to your site, they donate to this thing and get $70,000 because mm-hmm. there's so many more people that did that. Where if it's like, Oh yeah, I meant, we met that, you know, we hit 50,000 and they matched it. Well, right. you know, well now that they haven't, they need help. And so let humanity take over, man. You're building up some serious karma credit, <laughs> right? I think you're, what you're putting out in the yeah. world and positivity is going to make its way back to you yeah. like it already has. But I mean, you're building up some serious credit there, bud. You just like, you ooze this like 
happy yeah, positivity. <laughs> like it's just like emanating. I, <laughs> I enjoy I like bottle it. <laughs> like, so, <it's> awesome. <laughs> so we'll give you the final thought. Um, you know, we're not going to do anything else. This podcast is all yeah. about you. What's your final thought? If you could, if you, if there was one statement or one thing you want to say about this to anybody that's listening that may uh, download this podcast, what, what would it be? What, what's the message you want to put out in the, in the, in the ether? I mean, I guess ultimately the biggest thing that I want people to understand is that it is okay to struggle. I mean, it's, you're going to struggle. Nobody gets through life, uh, un, you know, untarnished, you know, right. we're all going to get beat down. It's never okay to quit. You know, you have to get up and it was just like the walk. There were days I didn't want to walk, you get up and take a step, you know, and then the next day, take two steps. Right. And, it, and it's, it's the same with your mental health. It might be getting up and instead of having that Mountain Dew, drink some water right. or get outside for 20 minutes today. Oh, it's cold. Go outside, go outside and, and, and it, it'll help. Yeah. So I, I just want people to know that it, struggling is just fine. Reach out, open up, talk to people. There are so many good people out there that'll help. And at the very least, if you feel like you have no one else to talk to, I have my phone on me 24-7 pretty much. There is the Facebook page for all across the country. Send a message. I am not a certified therapist in any way, right. but I will do whatever I can to help anyone that reaches out. And you know, if you don't feel like you've got anybody else to talk to, talk to me. And we'll talk and we'll try to figure something out. That's an excellent way to end it. Absolutely. Uh, so we will leave it at that. Joe Hall. Thanks for being here. Thank you, guys. This Thank has you been so much. terrific. So uh, that's it for the, I mean, I forgot the name of the podcast. It's so good. <laughs> this rumor has, oh, rumor it. has it. <laughs> we'll see you around town. 